What does it take to be a good ag teacher? Have we created our own monster? Ag teacher expectations. That's today's topic on Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. Welcome to Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. We share research-based tips and tackle the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. The Owl Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders from the University of Arkansas, Marshall Baker from North Carolina State University, Mike Ritalik from Iowa State University, and Brian Myers from the University of Florida. We are your agricultural education resource across the web. All right, Haley Trainee, thank you for coming back to Owl Pellets uh, from Oregon State University. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what we're going to be talking about today here on Owl Pellets. All right, so my name is Haley Trainee. I am originally from California. I was a high school ag teacher for five years there. Um, spent some time in Ghana with AgriCorps and spent the last three years at Oregon State working on my PhD. I'm excited to be here. So we're going to talk about teacher success, and I love the title not if you want to be good. <laughs> so what, what, what did you, you find here? Yeah, so, I, so as a high school ag teacher, I really struggled with this notion of balance. Um, you know, we talk about work-life balance and like professional development and different circles and everyone's saying it's really good and you need to have balance. I just couldn't figure out how. Like I just didn't see it as something that was possible for me given the work that I was doing as a high school ag teacher. You know, working, you're teaching all day, you're doing lesson plans and assessments and all that work um, outside of hours, regular hours. Then you've got all the FFA and the SAE stuff and I was just running myself ragged. Um, you know, I, 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 to be honest, I fell into depression and really struggled um, with my personal life. Even though from the outside looking in, I, I was doing everything right. You know, we were winning awards, we got state champions, um, all that stuff. And so this is something that I wanted to look into when I came to grad school was just to see, like, am I alone in this? Like, was my experience unique or do other ag teachers feel this way? And if so, how do we, how do we alter it? Or what is, you know, what is the solution? Um, and so... To kind of explore it, we, we hosted a workshop with ag teachers, about 50 ag teachers in Oregon who are early career ag teachers, so years one through five. And one thing that I wanted to unpack a little bit is, okay, what does work-life balance mean? What does it mean to be a successful ag teacher? And how do those th two things kind of interact with each other? And so it quickly became apparent from the study is that success in ag ed is winning, it's having high um, enrollment in your program or high um, or growing FFA members. It's winning um, grant money, things like that. And so these kind of, these we call them reifications, they've kind of been solidified. And so this is what success means in Ag Ed, according to our participants. And so then, real quick. Yeah, yeah. Haley just like <clears throat> blew the lid off our conference. So if you're a teacher and um, as professors, we're all here and, and Haley just walked up and just spoke on behalf of ag teachers. And so if you're listening and you're a teacher, <laughs> like this was really powerful and very applicable. And just some background is mm -hmm. this reification is basically you're saying, Haley, that we make the things. Yep. So like we are a part of making the things mm -hmm. and the things are when we reify something, yes. then we make a thing. Yep. 
And I think in Egghead, we have, uh, we've made a lot of things, mm-hmm. which means we've reified exactly. cultures or we've reified a definition of success. Yep. And so, um, you know, in that reification process, that we've kind of created a monster for ourselves. I think so. I think we have. And, you know, this is not some isolated event. This has happened over the, probably the past hundred years as Agate has morphed and changed into what it is today. Um, and so we have these reifications of success, these kind of expectations of success, and we actually award teachers for meeting these expectations. I don't know if you've ever looked at the honorary FA degree eligibility. It's crazy. You have to have a 100% SAE participation. You have to have national impact with your program. Um, and we, you know, we distribute these awards and we really reify these expectations and these forms of success. But the thing is, when we talk to teachers about this idea of work-life balance, you can't, they said that you can't be successful and balanced at the same time. Because balance would mean that you have to, heaven forbid, go home at 5 p.m. to cook dinner. Balance is going home and doing your laundry or not going through the drive-thru on the way home. Balance is hanging out on the weekend with your family and not thinking of all the things you have to do. Like, that's how they conceptualize balance. I was just blown away because I'm like, gosh, is that balance? That's just healthy. That's just well-being. And, you know, physical and mental well-being. And these ag teachers are saying that you can't do that and be a good ag teacher. Well, I don't know about you, but like I wanted to be a good ag teacher because being good means that you belong somewhere. It means that you're doing good at your job. And I mean, I think a lot of people always want to feel like they belong and feel like what they're doing is important and that they're actually meeting these expectations of their job. Especially when students are involved and we love students. I think you call them kiddos. Um, And we want to be there for students and it's really hard to say no to students sometimes. But I don't know, if we say no to our family, if we say no to our friends or our mental well-being, then what are the ramifications? One of the things, I, when I was watching your presentation last night when you presented this paper, was just fantastic, but it's like, how did we get here? And, and, I, and I think we've had these conversations for a long time. I can even remember back in the dark ages when I was a first-year ag teacher, at our beginning ag teacher's conference, a bunch of old ag teachers got up and talked about balance and whatever else, and they said words about, go take care of yourself, go take care of your family, go do all these things. But yet, as, an un, as a young ag teacher, I looked at those folks and went... I, I can't be as good as them. Mm-hmm. And so, so often it seems like the profession, we say we want these things, but we create either internally, looking at, every, you know, measuring up against everybody else, that idea of, okay, I, I've got to be as good as that person. Yep. And especially with these with early career teachers, <clears throat> here a lot of times, they, want to, they think they have to be as good as this 15, 20-year teacher Mm -hmm. on day one. Mm -hmm. And they don't understand it took 20 years for that person to get to that point. Mm -hmm. But yet it's the story they tell themselves. And that 20-year ag teacher can say, take your time, take your time, do take care of yourself. But as a young ag teacher, we just hear, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. Well, but quite frankly, if I'm a parent, I don't care if you're in your first year or your 20th year. Mm. Like, I want my kid to have the 20-year teacher experience. I want my kid to win Parley Pro if they're good enough at it because they were coached well and they had the right ag teacher. So, like, it's not only the ag teachers and us creating all these high expectations, but, like, I'm a parent and I expect my kindergartner to have the most (laughs) amazing teacher that knows all the things, 
you know, and I look at the first year kindergarten teacher and I hope my kid doesn't get that person because mm-hmm. I want all the things. You know, it's like everybody wanting all the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I go back to Brian's comment. I think we talk about that 20-year teacher or someone that's been in the profession a long time, and I think teaching's gotten a lot more complicated, and we've added a lot more uh, pressures and a lot more stressors and a lot more expectations, not only from the teaching side but from the administration side and the record-keeping side. So I, I can see where those challenges can be a, a huge difficult in trying to mm-hmm. manage that balance. And if you even look at like kind of the socialization of teachers, it's not like any other job where you are trained or you, you know, you shadow someone for a while or you do X amount of responsibilities and then add over time. You just, you're in, you're all in and you have all these expectations like go. And then the added fact that you're more isolated in this Mm -hmm. profession, right? You're in your classroom. Um, You're not collaborating with teachers all the time. There's just not really a system to to help new teachers kind of navigate and be socialized into the profession. So as we look at this, I mean, I think we all, you know, talking about it can see the problem, see the challenges. We probably all felt it in various ways along along the way to do this. What are some things we can do to, to help folks? I mean, we're, we're teacher educators. We're supposed to be state leaders and helping things out. Is there anything that we can do, the ag, the ag teachers that are listening to the podcast, that are either going through this right now or are out there wanting to help other people, what what can we do? <laughs> well, we can do some small things and then we can do some big things. Mm-hmm. I, I like talking about the big things. But small things first is um, having these types of conversations. We noticed a lot of our participants were afraid to have these conversations because they didn't want to be judged because of that mentality. So I'm normal? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> Um, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out how to empower ag teachers to take a stand um, and say no and learn how to say no. But obviously that only gets you so far because they have the community, they have the parents, they have all these expectations who are, you know, telling them what to do and how to do it. Honestly, this is my personal opinion. I have no data to back this up, but I think it's time we rethink the expectations of ag teachers. I know that's a little edgy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just when you compare it to other professions, it seems it seems wild that we expect people to come in and teach all day and teaching is really hard work. And then they have these other expectations that they're just expected to do, I don't know, magically and the remaining hours of the day. So whose expectations are these? It's, I mean, there's expectations, well, it depends on what aspect of the job you're talking about, but there's different parties involved. So there's community expectations, administrative, parents. And this is something that I've looked at in my dissertation. And one of the findings was that each of these different, I call them accountability partners, have different expectations and different um, levels of expectation. So when you talk about these different expectations and maybe going beyond a little bit about this conversation, mm-hmm. but as an ag teacher, one of the things that, well, first of all, one thing that I really thought about when you were presenting your paper was these are the, these are what I, as the ag teacher, think everybody's expectation is. Mm-hmm. Are there ways as an ag teacher that I can really figure out what my community wants? Mm-hmm. I mean, because I think I think they want fourteen state winning teams, and maybe they do, but maybe they would. There'll be they really are only saying, "Hey, I want to make sure you do." Yep. These two community events or whatever. I, I don't I don't think I'm asking a very good question, but it's like, how do I figure out? what other people's expectations really are. Because I know for me, sometimes I look around at other people and I keep thinking, I got to go do so much more. Maybe other people are saying, you know, if you do this much, it's really what we want. 
I think it's a matter of asking, which is a really hard conversation to have, especially as like a new ag teacher, getting the powerful community members or the supportive community members, ag boosters, things like that in front of, in front of you and saying, okay, what are your expectations of me? Um, and then even asking like, if I don't do this, what will happen? How will you feel? Um, and, and kind of navigating that type of conversation. Um, again, though, what I found in, in my dissertation research is that, that community members especially have significant pull on the ag teacher and what they do because they're supporters in many ways and do great things, financial support, you know, um, volunteer support, things like that. But in the event that they don't, the ag teacher doesn't deliver then there are negative ramifications, and sometimes they even lose their job. Or we've heard of horror stories of the community running out an ag teacher, which is crazy. That different people who are not even a part of your job, who aren't technically your boss, have so much power over your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I'm sitting here thinking about solutions. Yeah. So, like, these are the ones that come to my mind. Number mm-hmm. one. We've got to advocate with school boards and we've got to advocate with administration to build more multi-teacher departments where they should be multi-teacher. I think we have too many single teacher departments that could be multi. We've got to make the case that, you know, a lot of other people put state mandated boundaries on how many kindergartners can be in a classroom. You know, I wonder if ag ed, we can't do a better job mandating. Mm. You can't have seven preps, right? We've got to mandate and, you know, this is what we have. Second thing I think about is curriculum. You know, we've got this contest structure where the cart's before the horse where Johnny down the road has the secret way and he has all these secret resources to win poultry. And there's this pressure to find the secret sauce. Well, that's if the ultimate goal is winning. But if we could shift that ultimate goal where everyone had all the resources to prepare for poultry careers and they were all there and awesome and high quality. So like... I think curriculum, we spend too much time, I think, asking ag teachers to write curriculum. Mm-hmm. As a principal, my math teachers didn't write curriculum as much. They pulled from these really high quality banks of curriculum. And I don't feel like we have supported our teachers well mm-hmm. in a concerted, single, high quality curriculum. Um, and then how our programs assessed. Like I know some states' assessment models are based on how many kids walked across the stage, which means how many kids won some thing? How many kids did you take to said event? How many kids were in, involved in this? And that structure, as you spoke, I was just thinking to myself, like, we've, we've created that expectation. The, we have reified what's expected by one little rubric that someone fills out. And so those are easy to change, yes. but you have to want to change them. Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of that too is those people in leadership, those of us in leadership, and we'll say FFA, Ag Teachers Association, the people creating those awards have to at least be aware and think about the unintended consequences. Because I don't, I don't want to believe that when they were creating all these contests and all these award structures, they were creating these things thinking they were helping to recognize people, to motivate mm-hmm. and to do good things. But they also got to understand that there's some unintended consequences of you're creating maybe some unrealistic expectations mm-hmm to do something like this and at least at least think about that yeah. when they're doing it. And I don't know, it's not an easy solution to make those things happen, but understand that you may be saying you're making this award, but you may be unintentionally setting the standard right. that everybody thinks they have to meet, which may not be, be possible. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, the prime example is like, look at SAEs, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we used to have an SAE. And like in good faith, in good effort, like it's because we want to help people. Now we have like 467 categories and there's seven stages and six motivations and 13 places you can stop. And there's 5,000 different types of SAEs. Each is, That was built from a good place. Like, and I'm in favor of that project. But when you look at our career development events, it would be interesting to know how many originally existed and how many exist now. So I struggle with like, how do we grow to meet the, the changing agriculture? How do we grow so that every student has a place and we become better in that way without causing the expectation that every time we grow a new thing for someone else, it's a, how do we avoid the mentality of I need to do all the things? Mm-hmm. And that's what I, because if you do five and the teacher in the next county does 12, then the cycle's busted. It's, I think it's a very social socially constructed reification. Yes. Like there are some states where you have to do 20 things and that's normal. And then there's another state that if you do four things, you are doing really well. And these states have cultures. They have reified what success is by state. Mm -hmm. And you can see it just travel from state to state. And you can see the reification is different. Mm -hmm. And I wonder like, what was the driver of that? Mm -hmm. Be an interesting study. I think. And I think that's great. You know, we, we, again, with the best of intentions, we have added new events and new contests and new activities and even an FFA or community things. But now the expectation is now I got to do all of them. Mm-hmm. And how do we how do we give ourselves permission to say, hey, we're going to focus on these kind of things? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and one of the big things that I got as you were wrapping this thing thing up when you were talking about it was, and it's very difficult I think for ag teachers is. We need to be having these conversations, and we need to talk about it. Because I think for so long we have uh, ignored it, or kind of had this "suck it up, Buttercup, and move on" <laughs> mentality to go through to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to understand it's real. And you know, being around for a while, I mean, living through it, but then talking to some really good ag teachers that have 10, 15, 20 years of experience, they they're going through this thing. And how do they go through and make this thing, you know, talk about and realize it without being embarrassed? Mm -hmm. Because for some reason, ag teachers sometimes think they need to be, you know, bulletproof. I think it takes more seasoned ag teachers, ones who may have been recognized, um, who are in leadership positions to, to, to speak up and to be vulnerable and to talk about their struggles, Mm. which is is a really big thing to ask people to do. Um, it's interesting though, cause I think you're right on the head is like all the leaders, quote unquote, like we can change rubrics. We can, but like teachers are the powerful moving force. You know, it's like never underestimate if you work in a high school that there are more students than there are adults. You know, you have to keep <laughs> that in mind mm-hmm. and teachers are so powerful in, in reifying what happens. And so, you know, I think about Teachers could really play a valuable role in setting boundaries. And like, it seems to me we need some opinion leader educators in ag education that will say enough is enough Mm. and I'll be the first one to pull back. Yes. Because it's like no one, it's like everyone's waiting for someone to throw the first stone, (laughs) but no one wants to throw a stone because then you're the lazy teacher that doesn't want to, you know, it's like a really tough process, but how do you bolster that groundswell leadership from teachers to start saying, 
let's protect our own and let's make sure we're within realistic boundaries. Mm -hmm. We haven't even talked about a whole nother issue, which is the number of women that are now filling ag education roles. And, you know, that how that plays in to all of this. And, you know, I know my wife is an executive and, and, and works and loves her job. But she always carries this mother guilt, Mm. you know? She Mm -hmm. feels like she should be at every PTA meeting and she should be there for her child's this and that and should take cupcakes on this day. And, you know, I tell her all the time, like, we can share that responsibility, but she has this mom guilt. And so I also worry about the female teachers that are, are also carrying these other guilt. And there may be male teachers with different pressures, Mm -hmm. right? Um, but that female-male dynamic carries some different loads as well that you spoke to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 70% of them in your study were females. 80, I think. Yeah. 80, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they won't say a word about their extra duties as caretaker or house executive or mm-hmm. house financial manager or, you know, those, you can't, you know, that's a whole other dynamic I think we've got to address. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a great conversation. You know, it's, it's such an important topic that we need to figure out and, and continue to have these things. And and with all of our our podcasts and things we do here in Owl Pellets, we always hope that we spur conversation among teachers, spur thinking to do that. I, I don't think that is any truer for the, you know this for this podcast epitomizes that. Mm-hmm. This this is what it's going to take is to get ag teachers to have conversations with each other to go through and understand what's what's happening here yeah. talk through these things understanding that as ag teachers you're people too mm-hmm. and you deal with these sort of things and part of it goes goes around i think too is, is about teacher talk and unfortunately you know when, when a bunch of ag teachers get together or they're out there talking thing what's the first thing they talk about a lot of times is they talk about Man, I, I you know I've I've been busy the last two weekends to do whatever else, or you know I've um, you know I was in the I was in the at the school farm until ten o'clock last night doing something else, and it almost becomes like a a badge of honor mm. for me. You know, there's another word I probably can't use that I think it is. But, you know, it goes through like, well, well, Marshall says he spent two weekends doing taking kids to contests. Well, by golly, I took three, and, you know, and, and, you know, I'll see your crazy schedule and raise you one. And, and we got to get out of that mentality that I would say in your study, looking at it's wanting to win the awards and the contests and do that kind of stuff. But it's almost that contest internally mm-hmm. to say that I'm working longer more than you are and, and, and that internal contest. And how do we get over that to understand you don't have to be doing all those kind of things. And, and how do you have that conversation with your community members and say, hey, I, help me prioritize to make those things happen? I was reading some Brene Brown, or maybe it was on her Instagram, and she said that we have got to stop using exhaustion as a status symbol. Yeah. I think that speaks a lot to your point. <sighs> so one thing we don't talk about on Pellets much is, so what is it, if you're a teacher and you're listening to this, this is not Al Pellet's information. This is Haley's information. She's an expert in this. So what does this mean for you um, practically? If you had questions about this or if this resonated with you, then look on Al Pellet's at the infographic. Her information will be there. If this resonates and you want to talk about this or have maybe an idea of doing this kind of research in your state, then email Haley. She wants to work with you. Yes. 
Um, if you're a state director and this is resonating with you, she would be a phenomenal speaker at a professional development session or at a summer conference. So hit her up. She's a phenomenal speaker. She'd be a great resource. Um, she's a big advocate for teachers. So there's a lot of ways, if this resonated with you, to connect with Haley and um, bring her into your conversation. Right. And, you know, Al Pellet only takes 10% of for your manager fees. For your <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> no. She, 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 you're doing phenomenal work. This is just one piece of a lot of the great stuff that we've, we've seen you doing. But, again, get the conversation going. Um, Haley, thank you so much for, for we got to go. I've got to do 27 more podcasts. To do all this, uh, check us out online, check out the infographics, engage on this conversation. Let's get the conversation going both locally and nationally. So thank you all very much, Haley. Thank I appreciate you, you coming. Uh, we'll see you guys online on Owl Pellets. Thanks. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our webpage for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Be sure to follow Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It would also be great for you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, we ask that you please take a moment and comment on our podcast so others can find it as well. So for Kate, Marshall, and Mike, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets. Tips for Ag Teachers.